When you work with Rabo AgriFinance, you get the global knowledge and financial strength of one of the world's largest and most innovative food and ag lenders, tools essential to realizing your ambitions. Discover how an unmatched network of local relationship managers and sector experts can help you confront agriculture's challenges and seize the opportunities that lie ahead. Learn more and contact us at www.raboag.com. Growing a better world together. Rabo AgriFinance. Welcome, everyone, to the Farm CPA podcast presented by Top Producer. I'm Paul Neefer, your host. And today I'm actually joined by Chip Flory from AgriTalk. And it's sort of nice, Chip. I get to turn the shoe to the other side. I get to interview you now instead of you interviewing me. Yeah, well, I don't know how nice this is going to be or not. We'll figure it out as time goes on here, okay? <laughs> well, when was the last time you were actually interviewed? Oh, hey, you know, it still happens from time to time. I still get those, the 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 uh, radio stations that want to get me on and, and do a little bit of a preview. But well, um, it, I'll, I'll, I will admit, though, Paul, it does not happen as often as it did when I was pro farmer editor. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. When you were the editor there, uh, I'm sure a lot of uh, news organizations wanted to get uh, your comments and, and especially around crop tour time. Oh, yeah, absolutely. That crop tour time was the busiest time of the year for us. It really still is. So, yeah. Well, and you're still part of that crop tour. Uh, I was telling you offline that uh, it's been a few years since I've been able to be on the crop tour between my uh, my speaking engagements are typically that time of year. Plus, my wife now has some siblings that we go to event. But I still remember, I, I can't remember if it was the last crop tour that I was on or the second to last, but you and I are out in a cornfield and we're counting corn. We're pulling the, you know, the pulling the three ears. And I yep. happened to rip that husk down. And when I did that, I sliced my finger. I didn't yep. slice it off, but I sliced my finger. And suddenly <laughs> I hear Chip Flory go, Paul, you need to get out of here. And I'm like, what are you talking about? Because, you know, to me, I'm a farm boy. Blood's no big deal. He goes, I faint at the sight of human blood. So I had to run out of the field. I, I still remember that. So, <laughs> Yeah. No, it, it, uh, it just kind of depends on the situation. And I could feel that that was not going to be a good one for me. <laughs> you know, I'm trying to think. I, I know, uh, well, there's, there's – actually, I remember when I was um, – uh, driving wheat truck for my dad when I was a teenager. And of course, back then, you know, it took forever to get a load. So I'm sort of laying down on the seat in the truck. And somehow <laughs> I had this premonition to open my eyes. I opened my eyes and not two inches from my eyeballs was a mouse staring right at me. I, I don't know who was more excited or, 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 you know, I jumped out of the thing and he started running off, but, uh, yeah, I still remember that. But uh, well, enough of talking about me. I'm I'm here to interview uh, interview you. So what I'd like to do is just start, you know, with your with your background. Uh, uh, yeah. Essentially, where did you grow up? College, all that good stuff. Oh, okay, all right. Uh, grew up in Eastern Iowa, Oxford Junction, Iowa. It's in Jones County, and if you know where Dubuque, Clinton, yep. and Cedar Rapids, Iowa are. And kind of draw a cross section of that. It's right in the middle of those three towns, 50 miles from each. 
Okay. And uh, we're in the hills, the hills of Iowa on the eastern side of the state. So it's uh, it, it was an interesting upbringing there. It was a very diversified farm. We had commercial cattle. We had a few uh, uh, purebred Simmental cattle. Uh, fairly large farrow to finish operation, uh, row crop operation, of course, and most of that went to the feed. But it it um, and and even though even though my dad said uh, when I was young, I remember saying you know him saying something about sheep, and he said, "Boy, that's the last thing we'll ever have on this farm." One time I came home from from work or from school, I pull in the yard and on the back 14 acres that was kind of left for scrub. It wasn't big enough to put a bunch of cows on. You know, it was just, yep. it, it wasn't getting utilized like it should have. It was 80 ewes on <laughs> <Or> 14 <laughs> acres. And uh, so we even had sheep when I was growing up. It was, uh, it, it was an interesting life. Uh, but we, uh, I, I was very active in 4-H as I was growing up. I was a state 4-H officer. And uh, attended many national events representing Iowa in, in 4-H. I was active in sports. And, you know, uh, baseball was my, by far my favorite sport. Still enjoy baseball today more than anything else. But uh, So does uh, that make you a Cubs fan or what type oh, of yeah. fan? Because I know they're based in or their AAA team is in Des Moines. So I was just curious if yeah. you're a, a Cubs or a Cardinal fan. Well, I, I'm a Cubs fan, but it's because of WGN and yeah, and because and because of a friend of mine in in school um, it, that they were the first one to get cable in town, and there were days when if I had a little time off in the afternoon, I could go in and watch WGN and watch the that watch the Cubs play, and it was the only game that you knew you were going to get that you'd be able to watch. So. Uh, by default, I guess I ended up a Cubs fan and, and still to this day. And, uh, and unfortunately for my kids, I brought them along with me on that, that journey. Yeah. Well, it's sort of curious you bring up WGN. You know, I sort of became for a while an Atlanta Braves fan because sure. I was able to get, you know, I was able to get uh, the Braves on TBS and so on. And I yep. think that was in the early 80s when I was probably more of a Braves fan, uh, although I didn't mind them winning this year either. So that yeah. that, that was OK. Now, you're you're correct. You're sort of in that hill country near the Mississippi River. Yeah. Did you have a fair amount of hillsides that you had to harvest for for corn and soybeans or was was the crop side a little bit more on the flat ground? Oh, no, no, it was hills. It was definitely hills to the point that we had strip till. Uh, my my brother was 10 years older than me. And uh, so he was was uh, obviously much more involved in the farming operation at a at when I was young. Yeah. And uh, he and my dad got very involved in in no till early on in, in the 70s. They were they were already in a no till. As a matter of fact, they had a white planter a white brand planter no-till mm. planter of a, a four four row white okay. brand no-till planter that rolled off the assembly line with a uh with a serial number that was a bunch of zeros and the number four so Ooh, yeah. that's that's early early on so i could bring you out to the pacific northwest and stick you on a steep hill and you'd still be okay no no <laughs> no 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 i know what's going on out there and the hills of eastern Iowa aren't quite that bad, but <laughs> but we uh, 
we still we still had to figure out how to do things a little bit differently. We did a lot of strip telling or strip production where yep. we'd have a um, where we would have eight rows of corn, eight rows of soybeans, and eight rows of alfalfa in the hills to make sure that that uh, we were doing what we could to hold on to the dirt that we had on the sides of those hills. So right, was, so that it, you wouldn't get the erosion coming yeah, down. So, yeah, yeah, you know, it, it's amazing how that that strip of alfalfa really slowed things down. Now, even, even in the, the times that we'd get a hard rain. So yeah, it, it was, I learned a lot doing it. I fell in love with cattle when we were doing it. I would still love someday to be able to get back and raise a few, uh, raise a few cows and calves, but um, I don't know if that's ever going to happen or not, but I, I just uh, really fell in love with the, the beef side of it and was the national beef 4-H award winner uh mm-hmm. in in 1982 and and uh yeah is that for judging or just raising uh that was that was on the production side and the record okay. keeping okay it's on, okay it's not based on how many championships you have or anything like that it's it's based on how active and and involved you are in it and um the uh, the the record keeping that you do and 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 so on but it was it was something that brought me a lot of joy. I really uh, really had a good time doing that. Yeah, yeah. You know, on on my little or my wife and I little two hundred acre ranch, we're up at the peak. We had thirteen cows, and my wife didn't decided she didn't really like the cows, so we got rid of them. And I couldn't blame her. I'm on the road, you know, one hundred fifty days yeah. a year. So uh, uh, so if she doesn't like them, they're gone. So now we're with goats chickens and we're gonna have she just ordered yesterday 65 meat chickens so uh, we'll have some uh, meat chickens showing up here in another week or two and she'll grow those through uh, well we'll we'll process them on site so that's that's yeah. sort of interesting but uh, so yeah. you you grew up in eastern Iowa where, where'd you end up going to college I, I have a feeling I'm, I'm gonna <laughs> guess but I'm gonna guess wrong so I'm just not even gonna guess <laughs> no I ended up at Iowa State University and I I made that decision late uh, I really, I, I had an idea of what I wanted to do and, uh, but I, I got involved in the process fairly late and, and, uh, but Iowa state had a heck of a good journalism school, egg journalism school. And, and that's what I wanted to get into. So I, I ended up, uh, there in Ames and, and interestingly, before I left for Ames, I had a conversation with an editor at Pro Farmer. And the whole reason that I did this, Paul, was because I, I think it must have been 1981. I was probably a sophomore in high school. And my dad and I were driving down the road. And there was this the, this uh, segment on radio that Pro Farmer produced called the Pro Farmer Minute. We're driving down the road and the Pro Farmer Minute comes on. Dad listens to it very closely. He stopped the truck, he turned around, and we went back to the house so that he could take some sort of action. I don't remember what it was, but so that he could take some sort of action based on what was in that Pro Farmer Minute. And that mm-hmm. left that left such an impression on me because it had so much impact on Dad. And I remember talking to him about it later when we were listening to another Pro Farmer Minute. And asking him, you know, was it good advice? Did you do the right thing based on that? And he said, yeah, it helped me out a lot. And and it's something that I needed to do. And that, like I said, had an impact on me. Well, so before I went to Iowa State, and even before I decided on Iowa State, I, I called up to um, 
pro farmer and asked if I could talk to one of the editors. And they gave me to Bob Kaufman. And I said, Mr. Kaufman, Chip Flory, blah, blah, blah. If I would like your job someday, what should I do in college? <laughs> and uh, and he said, well, that's an interesting question. Why do you want to do that? And I, I told him the story. And plus, my mom was uh, was a journalist for 60 years. And, and not at that point, of course. But uh, at that point, she had already been a journalist for about 30 years. And as a rural correspondent for lo- for, for county and local newspapers, so I, I had the, the interest of agriculture from dad and, and farming from dad. And then I had the interest in journalism from what my mom did. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that impact that I saw Pearl Farmer have on dad, it, it caused me to make that phone call. And so I, I explained all of that to Bob and he says, you know, this, that's all very interesting. Here's what you should do uh, at Iowa State University, ag journalism and and uh, take an emphasis in broadcasting because even though we are print publications, we write in broadcast style because it's more, it's easier to communicate in a broadcast style than it is in a newspaper or, or an AP style. It's just yep. easier to get your points across. So, um, and then and then he said, study up on ag economics, study up on sociology and how people make decisions. And I thought, you know, that interested me immediately. And and uh, off to Iowa State, I went, uh, studied ag journalism with a with a broadcast emphasis. Had a minor in in ag socioeconomics. In other words, I took Kaufman's advice yep. very literally. Yeah, yeah. That's what <laughs> so it sounds socio- like. Yeah. So socioeconomics, and uh, I I worked as the farm director at WOI, which is a public radio station there in Ames. Uh, at at Iowa State, it's student run, mm-hmm. uh, but but I worked my way up to be the to be the uh, farm director for a year and a half, um, and I also worked for the Iowa State Extension Service, put, putting together uh, reports that would would run later on WOI and on WHO and on WMT, uh, the different stations around Iowa, and so it it, it uh, I. I once I got into it, I really got into it there at Iowa State and, and was was very active on the broadcast side of things. Uh, then come my my final week, I mean, my last finals week at Iowa State and the phone rang at the apartment and it was Bob Kaufman. <laughs> and he he was calling to check up on me and see how things were going and said he didn't have a job at Iowa State or at uh, at Pro Farmer for me, but, you know, we, I just need to stay in touch with you. The next day, uh, Jeff Wilson, who was the bureau chief for a, a company called Commodity World News, which became Futures World News, uh, called me up and said, uh, we'd like to get you into Chicago for an interview. And that turned into a job with Oster Communications, which owned Pro Farmer. That turned into a job in that lasted for about three and a half years in Chicago. I worked on the floor of the Chicago Board of Trade, floor of the Mercantile Exchange as a reporter, a wire service reporter there. And then um, uh, after I was in Chicago for about three and a half years and I was getting ready to say, you know what, this farm boy needs to get out of Chicago, (laughs) go find something else. uh, Bob Kaufman one more time called. And said, Chip, I, I, I need to let you know that I'm retiring. And I thought you'd be interested to be the first to know. 
and that okay. opened up the door and got me back to Cedar Falls, Iowa and pro farmer, Paul. I, it's, it, I, um, you know, I tell that story and people are like, boy, he was kind of a guardian angel for you. And that's the truth. He yeah. was, he yeah. was. So that was about what, 1990, late 80s, early 90s? Yeah, I started in Chicago in January of 1988 and okay. got back to got back to Cedar Falls, Iowa in the spring of 1991. Yeah. Okay. And so you started at, at Pro Pharma, Pro Farmer, sorry. And then uh, how long did it take you to become the editor then? Yeah, it, when I, uh, I started there in, in, in 91 and um, was the editor of the electronic services and the senior market analyst shortly after I got there. I, I believe that started in 1992. Okay. And uh, so I was the senior analyst and I was in charge of the electronic services. And you think, okay, 19, 1991, what did you really have for electronic services? Well, we, we had uh, the service was available on DTN mm-hmm. um, and uh, Pro Farmer and Oster Communications had a, a service called GlobalLink. And it was a satellite delivered service uh, that that uh, was was competitive with DTN at the time very much. And we also had a service that started in the early 80s, Paul, the early (laughs) 80s that was called Instant Update, where where customers could call in, uh, put on the 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 coupler modems, you know, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and it would. It, it would um, uh, it would connect up and you could actually download information from the computer system there at Pro Farmer. Sounds pretty familiar, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You yeah. know, you enter, you enter the code. Uh, we still do a thing called Pro Farmer's First Thing Today. And the code for that was IU102. You could enter IU102 and it would download First Thing Today. At, at, remarkable at, technology at, three, at 300 baud yeah <laughs> or, yeah. or 1200 baud so <laughs> right right took forever took yeah forever. yeah well i remember uh so i started as a cpa in 1983 so i'm a little bit a little bit older than you yeah. not that much older but a little bit older and i remember when we first got our first fax machine i mean it was it was about the size of of a mini refrigerator probably weighed about 100 pounds had that <laughs> that crinkly paper that you just hated. Yeah. And then if, and if you put heat on it, the, the, the whole print would disappear. So uh, right. uh, now you, you, now you mention facts to kids and they're like, what's a fax? You know? Yeah. And they no don't even idea. see a machine. They just think it comes in via the internet. So. Right. Uh, but, right. Uh, well, so, Paul, when I, when I started on the floor of the board of trade, the way that I got our information back to Cedar Falls uh was through dictation i just did everything over the phone (laughs) and dictated all the reports back to um um i i don't even remember what we called the the staff that but we had a group of uh of people that entered the 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 reports as they were dictated from washington dc from chicago yeah uh, from new york and and the reporters would call up and dictate the reports and, and everything would be entered there before it was sent out on the wire service. So, yeah, yeah, that was so, interesting. So when but you I, were, when you were on the CME and the, and the CBOT and so on, so you would, what hourly or how often would you actually send in a report? And was it just the, 
the pricing and the change in price and so on. I, I'm just curious exactly yeah. what you would have done at that point in time. Yeah, no, we did pre-opening comments, midday and closing comments. Okay. Okay. And then, and then if there was any spectacular type of market action, we had to file market specials. Well, the, the trigger to file a market special on corn was, <laughs> was if the price moved a penny. <laughs> yeah, because the late 80s, early 90s was not what you call rapid appreciation or depreciation in corn. So no, no. Uh if 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 we moved if we moved more than a couple of cents from it in a week, it was a big week. It was a big week. And I say that, but Paul, there was 450 people in the corn pit and everybody was trading like crazy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now it's all computerized, so uh, there are no human beings there. Well, and I actually started trading commodities because I had a friend, an older friend that sort of bankrolled me a little bit, but I was trading pork bellies and gold and silver, yeah. uh, wheat and corn in the late 70s, like 79, early 80. And I remember it was either on my birthday or the day before, day after when I turned 20, Gold peaked at like $830 an ounce, and yeah. I actually went short that day. And I woke up the next morning, and and they have no limit the next morning. And I'm ahead like 15000 bucks, and I'm 20 years old, and I think, hey, this is the best thing ever. So I close yeah. out my position. Three days later, I would have been ahead 40000 You know, it was that yeah. wild. So uh, yeah. I, I, so versus a, a penny a bushel, you know, uh, gold was moving $150 an ounce, and silver was moving 20 or $30 an ounce. It was yeah. crazy. So yeah. I was lucky yeah. not to lose my shirt. So that, that, that was the good part. So <laughs> That's right. That's right. Yeah. You know, and the local traders, uh, I got to know some of the local traders at the, at the uh, Board of Trade more so than over at the Merck. But uh, those were some of the hardest working people that, that I knew. Uh, yeah, they uh, they were there grinding and out every day, trying to make a quarter of a penny as many times as they possibly yep. could. Yep. And definitely trying to make a quarter of a penny more times than they lost it. Uh, right. Yep. Right. Right. It was it was fascinating to me to watch to watch the whole process. So but I was electronic services editor from 91 until 97. And in 97, uh, I took over as editor of, of Pro Farmer Newsletter. And for 17 years, I got to to write that that newsletter with uh, people like Scott Davis helping me out and Brian Grady, who is the editor now. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, um, Roger Bernard, Jim Wiesmeyer, who is still very active at yep. Pro Farmer. Yep. Uh, some really great people that I got to work with over the years, and Julianne Johnston and and Megan, and and I, there's there's a, a long list of people. But boy, to be able to do that for 17 years that 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 was uh, that was a rewarding experience, Paul. No question. Yeah. I was actually in Phoenix last week with uh, Jim Wiesmeyer, so uh, I yeah. had a good time visiting with him, and uh, uh, we spoke uh, at an event together. So that was that was good. So uh, now he he still puts out a lot of information. I, I sure people does. accuse me of not sleeping. I'm not sure if Jim sleeps much either. So uh, <laughs> no, he doesn't. He doesn't. I'll guarantee that. So you were there for 17 years as the editor, and then yeah. eventually you moved into your current role. So how how did that evolve? 
Well, yeah, yeah. In in 2014, we started a new hour of AgriTalk. AgriTalk had been around for about uh, almost 20 years when we started the second hour. What is now we call the second hour of AgriTalk started off as Market Rally Radio. It was that for a couple of day or a couple of years. Yep. And then um, and then AgriTalk after the bell, and and eventually became the second hour of AgriTalk, and we just call it agritalk now and and um uh it, it so i that started in 2014 and it was i i kind of straddled the the fence between uh working for agritalk and working for pro farmer i was giving a lot of time to to both enterprises and then in in 2018 we uh uh consolidated efforts and and I took over as the host of the morning hour of AgriTalk. And so now from 10 to 11 in the morning, we talk issues and policy and news and events that affect agriculture. And in the afternoon from two to three, we talk markets. Yep. So it's, uh, again, it, it's it's a very rewarding job that I get to do in the, af- the, the morning. I feel like we lead conversations in the industry, Paul. I really do. I, there's there's times that we are catching up with the conversation that is already happening out there. Uh, but many times we're on the leading edge of a conversation and, and helping to direct uh, uh, where that conversation is going next. So that's, that's, uh, that, that's an interesting job. And then in the afternoons, good grief, the people that I get to talk to in the afternoons on that show, it's, it's really rewarding. And and it's people that have been doing it, doing the 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 analysis and and advisory jobs longer than I have that I get on there, and it's just a lot of fun to have conversations with those guys. Yeah, yeah and you have a very large Rolodex, so uh, I, I think you can uh, reach out to about anybody you want to. So, how often do you? How often would would you maybe have a discussion, let's say, with a senator or? Uh, representative or like Secretary Vilsack or Secretary Purdue when he's with Trump. How often do you uh, maybe filter those into the conversation? Oh, it, it, for the morning show, quite often, uh, at least weekly. And it, it's to the point now where it's even more than that, where it, it's multiple times a week that we'll have uh, a senator on or a, or a uh, representative to talk about a bill that's been presented or talk about some um, a, a bill that has been fully funded now, for example, uh, th- those kinds of conversations I think are important so that people understand where, where, where public policy is taking them and where the money is being spent, uh, and, and who is making the decisions on that. So that's a, that's a critical part of the job, I believe. But then we spend time talking with commodity groups and, and organizations, um, Farmers love yep. having farmers on. Every Wednesday we do the farmer forum. Yep. It's because yep. it's because we need to get the guys on and and get a good understanding of exactly what they're thinking and why they're thinking about it is is one of the things that I like to get to the bottom of and in those conversations. And certainly a lot of those farmers, uh, either they're friends, they might even be clients of mine. So uh, yeah. you know, absolutely. I, 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 definitely uh, listen to that so uh, actually i think right now uh, chip we're going to go ahead and take a quick break and then we'll come back and uh, and continue the conversation 
Get timely updates about taxation, accounting, succession planning, and other issues that are unique to farmers and agribusiness processors. Find out about major agribusiness events and how to comply with new laws that affect your business. Subscribe to Farm CPA at blogs.claconnect.com forward slash agribusiness and experience the CLA promise. blogs.claconnect.com forward slash agribusiness. Welcome back, everyone, to the Farm CPA podcast presented by Top Producer. I am Paul Neefer, your host, and we're going to rejoin our conversation with Chick Flory from, from AgriTalk. Uh, well, we'll just call it Farm Journal Media. How does that sound, Chip? That's perfect. That's so, perfect. Yep. So yeah. I'm, I'm actually going to cycle back to the crop tour for uh, maybe a minute or so. I'm just okay. curious on the crop tour, what was there? Was there any unique things that happen on the crop tour, at least that you can share in the, in the general public. How, how do <laughs> yeah. I say it that way? Right. <laughs> There's the, countless unique <laughs> situations have come up on crop tour. You know, um, Jim, I, I, I first started going on crop tour in 1988. And for some reason or another, I didn't make the 1991 tour. Uh, but I've been on every tour since then. And Jim Quinton was running the tour when I first started going on it. He was a crop consultant based out of Illinois. And following the 91 tour, he asked if we would, if Pro Farmer would consider being a partner and eventually taking over the tour because it was, it, it, it's a job. It, yes. It's a, uh, it's an effort to be out there. Even, even in those days when we had 15 to 20 people out there covering seven or eight routes, it's, it still takes a lot of effort to get everything done and, and, and so on. But uh, so we, we teamed up with Jim then in, in 1992 and the first tour that I ran was in 1993. Um, that's the year of the floods across the Midwest. Oh yeah. 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 And that may have been one of the most unique uh, situations of all Paul, when, when we're over in the Eastern corn belt, we're looking at a pretty doggone good crop. And I had to keep telling people, but wait until we get west of the Mississippi because they've had even more rain there. And the crop potential isn't what it is in the in the eastern belt. And people would look at me like, man, you've lost your mind. If you're telling me that they've had even more rain over there, why isn't the crop potential even better? That's the first year that we figured out just how much crop you can lose to too much water. And right. Yep. It, yeah. And and so that that was a, a really unique experience. And then there there's just so many. But that that 93 tour, the first one that we ran really stands out to me because in some areas, Paul, you know, we'd be crossing ditches and walking through knee deep water in Minnesota. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it, it was ridiculous. It was crazy. Well, and I. I remember one of the crop tours I was on, we were taking a sample in, uh, I think it was Pipestone County, Minnesota. And I can't remember if we were the first 300 you bushel were. sample or we were the highest 300 bushel sample. I mean, I think we were at 322. It was 20 inch rows. And, yeah. uh, and, and we thought, well, 
that can't be right. We screwed up the uh, the council. We went back and did another count, which we didn't put into the into the records, and it was like three sixty eight. I mean, yeah. it was it was crazy how high that yield was. Yeah, and that was that was the very first three hundred yield that we got that that was pulled on tour. Yeah, and and I'm guessing since then there's been a few more. Yeah, yeah, there have been, but not that many. Uh, yeah, I, you know, it's it's not like everybody goes out and every day finds a three hundred bushel cornfield. No. Yeah. Um, that doesn't, that doesn't happen, but, um, there, there's been a few more since yeah. then, but, but just a handful. We'll come out to Washington state and do some yeah. crop tours out here and you'll start at 300. So right. <laughs> <laughs> if you're under 300 they're they're like, oh. well, even out here, they don't say bushels. It's always tons. You know, they, they, right. all, they only want to discuss it in tons, eight tons, eight and a half tons, seven, seven and a half tons, whatever it might be. So, well, so on the crop tour, that was sort of some of the interesting stuff. How about over on Agritalk? Cause well, and actually again, on the crop tour, how many times have farmers pulled guns on 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 the scouts? <laughs> I, I'm aware of at least two that I'm aware of. So yeah, I, you know, I've never had it happen, but I've heard that there are rumors that it has happened. Um, you know, it uh, there usually ninety nine percent of the time, ninety nine percent of the time, maybe even more than that. Uh, once you explain what you're doing, why you're there, oh, yeah. who you're yeah. with. Uh, all of a sudden it, it, the confrontation turns into a conversation and they want to know what you're saying. And then it's uh, boy, you think that's a good cornfield? Let me take you down the road. I'll show you a really good one. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Or, or if you're counting their field, they want to know what the yield is and you sort right. of have to him and haw on that. So, right, right. Exactly. If you, if, you, if you tell them and it's too low, they're going to be mad. And if it's too high, they're going to say, well, don't, don't get that out there. Cause the markets will move. So, <laughs> right, right. <laughs> There, uh, there was, there was another good example, uh, of, of, you know, how, how people follow the tour, uh, just a couple for you. I was in Butler County, Iowa, and I was in a, it, it's rough dirt in that particular area. And the, the truck was parked out on the gravel road and, and I heard another tr vehicle pull up behind it and, and stop and, and heard the door open somebody hopped out and said chip flory if you're out there in that cornfield you better report the yield because you're standing on the worst piece of dirt in butler county <laughs> <laughs> so there was that and then another time and this was more recently this had been oh probably 2017 uh we were in western iowa making our way up from from nebraska city to spencer and went by an intersection and there was a, a vehicle just sitting in the intersection. And, and I had a couple, three cars on that route that day. And, and when, when we went past, they pulled out and started following. And sure enough, when we pulled off on a gravel road to pull a sample, that vehicle pulled off as well. And, and he came walking right up and he said, Hey, it, it, and I saw him coming. So I went right down to have the conversation with him. And he said, hey, you is is uh, Chip Flory walking along on this route with you? And I said, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and he says, well, which one is he? I'd like to meet him. And I said, OK, any particular reason? He says, yeah, I'm, I'm a fan of his radio show. Oh, said, OK. Yeah, that's me. <laughs> <laughs> and we t we talked for just about 30 seconds and he said listen the main reason that i wanted to have a conversation with you is because 
every afternoon at two o'clock, I stop doing what I'm doing. I go to my dad's place. We sit, we have a cup of coffee. We listen to your show and we talk about what's on, what, what you're talking about and, and what it might mean for our operation. And dad lost his sight about three years ago and he can't really go outside and do much anymore. So this is how he's still active in the farm yeah. is, is on the marketing side. And he said, he's sitting in the vehicle. Would you mind coming down and meeting him? Oh, yeah. I'm like, are yeah. you kidding? <laughs> of course. Yeah. Of course. Yeah. You know, that those are the, the kind of encounters that, yeah. that we run into out there that are really special. And, and just random encounters on crop tour have turned into lifelong relationships oh, yeah. and, and yeah. uh, uh, people that we've run into uh, out on tour have turned into scouts that, that are now master scouts of, of the crop tour. And it's uh, it, it's, it, it has not been without uh, bumps in the road, but, yep. but it's been a very, very rewarding endeavor. Yeah. I'm probably going to admit, Chip, that my worst Twitter experience happened on the way to crop tours. So uh, Chris Barron, <laughs> who you know very well, he oh, and yeah. I were riding riding in the in the truck over to Columbus, Ohio, and this would have been probably about the fourth year I did the crop tour. So maybe 13, 14. And you know, as we're going along, I would take a photo of something in the field that I thought was interesting, and I'd tweet it out. Well, I think about the fourth or fifth tweet I did. Somehow autocorrect changed one of my words to lingerie and it, I, I'm still getting, I'm still getting flack on that. Like five years later that uh, people go, Paul, how's your lingerie today? And I'm like, oh, you turkey. So. <laughs> yeah, that autocorrect it's, it's nasty at times. So uh, yeah. Uh, well now diving over to Agritalk, has there been a very, very interesting uh, uh, person that you've had on Agritalk? Oh, you know, yeah, yeah. I, and many, all of them are interesting. At least yeah. I hope they are because they're the ones that carry the conversation. I, the way I do it, Paul, is that they've all, the reason that I asked them to come on AgriTalk is because they've got a story to tell. Yep. I may not agree with the story, but they've got a story to tell. And, and it is a story that, that should be told and should be heard. And so I just try to give them the best opportunity that they've got to tell the story. Now, there's a, there are, are other times, like, for example, when I've got you on, it's because there's there's news, there's a change in tax policy, there's something that we've got to get somebody on that completely understands what's happening so that we can get it out to the listeners what's happening. Yep. But for the most part, it's like I said, they've got a story to tell, and I want to give them an opportunity to 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 tell that story so it, it's all very interesting and and a couple of the well okay a couple of years ago when we were in the middle of covid everything's getting shut down um everybody's in a bad mood yeah just in a bad mood uh i had jim morrison on and if you'll remember jim morrison is the pitcher the major league baseball pitcher that was featured in the movie, the rookie. That's right. That's right. Yep. Yeah. His story. And he's, he's out of baseball now, or he's not pitching anymore. I shouldn't say that he's out of baseball. Of course he's not out of baseball, but, uh, 
uh, he's not pitching any longer and he's doing some motivational speaking. And I thought, you know what, doggone it. That would be really cool to get him on, get his story out there and just have, have the conversation about how, you know, what we need to be thinking now at this time to, to get our heads right. Um, that was fun. That was a lot of fun. I've had Oliver North on, we had Oliver North on after, um, after a bad guy uh, in the the Middle East was taken out by a missile, by a U.S. Mm. missile during the Trump administration, uh, just so that we could gain a a better understanding of just how serious uh, of of a maneuver that was. And, yeah, yeah. And to, to 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 get that out there, um, I've over the years I've enjoyed having um, Kevin Folta. Dr. Kevin Falta from the University of Florida on. Uh, that guy took so much heat for being a, a GMO biotech. Yep. yep. Uh, tech, technology inside of the seed guy that it, and has been so, in my opinion, so important in educating consumers about what it really is. Yep. Uh, yeah. Another guy. Uh, is this, and I love talking to this guy on the show, Dr. Andy Randolph. He is the, the chief technology officer for Eric Childress racing. Oh, yeah. yeah. And he, I, nobody, nobody understands how fuel and engines work to bet, work together better than this guy. Yeah. Yeah. So to hear him talk about the benefits of E15 and even higher blends and the benefits that even E10 brings to, to the average consumer is so counter to everything that big oil spews out Yeah, that it's so refreshing to hear somebody with the qualifications of, of a guy like Andy Randolph talk about the, the benefits of it. I, I mean, it's, it, it is, it, it's, that's, that's been really re- rewarding. And then recently, you know, okay. So us economy geeks, the guys that like to think that we can figure out what might happen next in the economy. Yep. We, we've got those, there are people out there that we watch on CNBC that we watch on Fox business. They're regulars out there. And, over the years, you find yourself arguing with them, and and uh, uh, of course, you're arguing with them through the TV, and it doesn't right. do you any good. <laughs> no, no, well, they can't talk back. They can't talk back to me. That's right. Um, but that guy for me, that guy for me is or was Jared Bernstein, for, and who is now a member of the White House Council of Economic Advisors. Well, every time there's a big report out now, Jared comes on the show and we talk about what the report means. And he's very willing to answer back now when I yell at him (laughs) about his misinterpretation of the data. (laughs) Um, So that is very rewarding. That that's that's pretty cool. But and then I've had people like Emily Flory and Tom Flory on. They. Yeah. Yeah. Gary, the, the same last name. Of course, it's Emily Carlin now. Yeah. But yeah. Emily's very involved in crop tour, has been for a long time. Tom yeah. is very involved in Outdoors on the Farm, which is another yeah. project that I've been working on that Emily is also involved in. But Tom was on the show just last week talking about uh, 
the importance of a winter food source for deer mm-hmm. on, on a property. And, and th- that kind of stuff is just, it's really cool. But the biggest characters out there are some of the farmers and they know who they know who they are. <laughs> There's no reason to start naming names on that, but uh, talking with farmers is always very rewarding. Well, and I think even more importantly, Emily's given you a couple grandkids, right? Yes. Yes, she <laughs> has. And, and I've even got one from my son, Tom now too. Well, so, yeah. Good, good, good. Yeah. yeah. My, one of my favorite sayings and maybe somebody said it, but uh, I'm going to take credit for it is, uh, you know, kids are the necessary evil to get grandkids. So, you yep. know, that's, that's, uh, uh, I think a lot of people, and until I had grandkids, you know, I wasn't really, but now that I have a boy and a girl, I'm like, Hey, you know, they're, they're pretty good. So yeah, yep, no doubt. No, <laughs> especially doubt. if they get too much of a handful, I get to hand them back to mom and dad. So. <laughs> right. Right. Well, you know, Chip, it, it, I, what, what I talked about there mostly was with guests that we have on in the morning show, the morning yep. hour. But that afternoon thing, you know, I'm an uh, I'm a markets guy. Yep, that's where my heart really lies, and helping people understand uh, what they need to do to to manage the risk on that side of the business. And the, I haven't counted for a year, probably, uh, and I've added maybe another dozen. But on my list of, of what I would call regular guest analysts that I have on the afternoon show, there's. There's got to be 165, 170 people on that list now, Paul. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that that I can call up and and get them booked to to come on on AgriTalk and talk markets and and what they think is most important on risk management. It's uh, that's that's pretty cool, dude, yeah. to be able to do that. Yeah, no, totally agree. Um, yeah, it's it's and now that I have, I, you know, I got ground in Iowa, I got ground in Missouri. I'm just closing on some more ground here in Washington state. Uh, uh, you know, I even have to pay attention to all the markets. Yeah, you're becoming a regular old land baron yourself, aren't you? Yeah, well, according to the progressives, uh, you know, I think 40 acres is a land baron for the progressives. I guess I blew right. past that a long time ago. So yeah, uh, but <laughs> it's, it's it's fun to have all the different crops and 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 you know uh, my my farm kid at heart's coming back to coming back to yeah. me yeah very cool very well Chip, cool. you and i could probably talk for another hour and uh, we're coming up on about 45 minutes so i think uh, i think we'll probably go ahead and 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 you know stop today's discussion but i have a feeling maybe in the next six months or a year we'll come back and have some more stories sounds great paul sounds great thanks for uh thanks for the invite i appreciate it Okay. Thanks, Jeff. Again, this is the Farm CPA Podcast presented by Top Producer, and this is Paul Neifer signing off. When you work with Rabo AgriFinance, you get the global knowledge and financial strength of one of the world's largest and most innovative food and ag lenders, tools essential to realizing your ambitions. Discover how an unmatched network of local relationship managers and sector experts can help you confront agriculture's challenges and seize the opportunities that lie ahead. Learn more and contact us at www.raboag.com. Growing a better world together. Rabo AgriFinance.